Hey friends, this is the Reverend Jack Alvey with my friend and co-host, the Reverend Josiah Ringers with This Anglican Life, a moderate voice for contentious times. Episode 10, Do Not Let Your Hearts Be Troubled. Hey Josiah, how you doing? Jack, I'm so glad to talk to you today, man. Uh, what a delight to, um, in this time of coronavirus, when we're separated from each other physically, but we're still able to talk to each other, and I love it. Uh, what's it been like for you? Uh, I, I've heard that your church has just been wide open. You've been defying all the orders of the governors, and uh, you've been meeting every week. Yeah, we currently have like, um, oh, I don't know, at least 300 people in the nave every, every Sunday. Good. Uh, you just encourage everybody to sneeze on everything. Mm-hmm. Give each other big hugs and kisses and uh, good luck. Well, it's actually just uh, it's there. It's, it's a picture of them, and some of them made cardboard cutouts of themselves. <laughs> That's great. So they have pictures uh, of all your parishioners, huh? Yeah, they're two-dimensional uh, people, but it's uh, a sacramental. Uh, it's a sacramental in nature. It's a symbol of their of their presence. I read a really interesting article today. Uh, I think it was in the Living Church, uh, talking about the difference between literal presence and spiritual presence. Did you see that? No, but tell me more about it. Well, you know, just, you know, how, you know, in our particular Western culture, we've, you know, we, we operate off of some form of dualism. You know, literal uh, means actual and spiritual means like a figment of your imagination. Um, but, you know, the, you know, in the more Eastern traditions and, you know, uh, the traditions that the first followers of Jesus, uh, spiritual was actually something more real than, than literal or physical and how we've sort of separated them out unnecessarily and how, you know, literal and spiritual can't really be separated like we've done it. Anyway, it, it's a really interesting article. It talks a lot about the resurrection from the dead. Um, talks about, you know, what, what does spiritual communion mean uh, as opposed to physical or liberal communion. It's, it's a really good article, and it, it basically challenges our, our worldview, our Western worldview, and um, sort of our assumption of dualism that sort of pervades well, our philosophy. Every priest I've talked to has said something along the similar lines of this has been really interesting and good as a priest, because it really challenges us, makes us think of what is, what is the mission of the church? You know, what is the purpose of having churches? The purpose of the church to have worship, to, is it to gather on Sundays? Is it to share something together like the Eucharist or Bible study? Is the purpose to check in with each other? You know, what is the mission of our church? Is it outreach? Is it fellowship? Is it hospitality? Um, and how do we do that? when the world is upside down. And, you know, it's certainly biblical, (laughs) certainly biblical to find yourself in times when the world is being shaken completely upside down. You know, Jesus himself, I think, could identify easily with the circumstances because his world was upside down. You know, the Romans were turning the world on its head. And, And certainly for the first disciples like Peter, like Paul, and definitely like, um, Stephen, who we're going to talk about in just a minute, you know, at the time of Stephen's death, the world was collapsing. Jerusalem is, you know, being attacked, and later it's going to be completely destroyed. Um, Jesus has died and rose again and, and ascended into heaven, but is gone. 
um, people are being harassed and arrested and tortured. The world is on fire. And that's the world in which they're writing these gospel stories. That's the world in which they were, you know, telling the story of Jesus. And the interesting, um, interesting thing about that, you know, you're talking about the world being upside down, is uh, that's, when the, that's when the church flourishes um, in the face of adversity. Um, and certainly the early church in the face of, of persecution. Um, obviously, we're not facing persecution here in our, in our particular context in the United States. Uh, but these times of adversity do make us um, sort of rethink why we exist, sort of like your parishioners are asking. And, you know, our lesson from the Acts of the Apostles this past week in chapter 2 sort of, sort of reminds us to go back to the basics. Um, it's the first question in our baptismal covenant. Uh, that first community, uh, they gathered for um, uh, they gathered to study, uh, for fellowship, for the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Obviously, how we do that looks a little different. How we break bread, how we do fellowship, uh, how we study, how we pray. But those are sort of the core elements that are the foundation of Christian community. And obviously, you can't uh, dismiss the Holy Spirit from that equation. Um, uh, but, you know, that's where I went last Sunday is remember the basics of our faith. And from that, from fellowship, from breaking of the bread, from our, from our prayers, from our study, that is how Christian community is born. So whatever happens from that is the fruit of the Spirit, is God's will for the church. Jack, um, what I like about that message and what I think is important about that message for us today is th this isn't the last time something terrible is going to happen there's going to be another coronavirus or there's going to be another war of just like tremendous heartbreak and devastation. There's going to be other moments just nationally that we can't yet even imagine, right? That are going to happen. And so this isn't like this only time in the history of America where we're going to suffer, but it's going to be at each one of those moments that we're going to have to rediscover what it means to be Christian. We're going to have to rediscover how to live as God's community. And so kind of along the lines of what you're saying is we go back to basics because that's what we've always done at times of plague and pestilence and famine and war and death. We go back to the very beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are, what are some of the things, you know, uh, your parish community is doing um, to be the church right now, Josiah? Yeah. You know, we're, we're trying to find new ways to reach out to each other, you know, whether that's um, people calling each other, being in contact or setting up new ways of having Bible studies like on Zoom or, you know, over the phone, whether that's um, trying to find new ways to do outreach and like be alive in our community and yet still being safe and not putting people at risk. You know, I've started a couple different Bible studies just in my own church so, you know, we can stay in contact uh, online and trying to do worship in a virtual way and um and we're trying to discover that i think we're really wrestling with the question of like what is the mission of saint thomas mm -hmm. you know when we don't have church walls yeah and uh it's forcing us to really think creatively i think absolutely what yeah, about you jack Albie? what about ascension in vestavia well it sounds a lot like you know what we're doing um you know really uh you know, exploring this virtual way of, of 
of gathering. And one of the blessings for me is I've, I've never been on the phone this much with parishioners. Um, and uh, it's, it's really been a, a blessing for me to just talk one-on-one with people on the phone and not just about the COVID and all that kind of stuff, but having conversations I probably wouldn't have had otherwise um, with some of these people. And it's, it's been a real blessing to me and um, just to learn more about who they are. And I'm still relatively new, uh, I guess a year and a half in. Um, so I'm still learning people's stories, uh, learning about their loved ones, their, their past life and, um, and that kind of thing. So that's been one of the, 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 the takeaways for me that it's, this, oppor- this has given me an opportunity to connect on a deeper level uh, pe- with people one-on-one. Well, you know, Jack, the other thing is um, because we're moving to Zoom and it's a different way of having Bible study, we can't kind of rely on some of old tricks and techniques of, you know, posing questions because it's just kind of hard to, to have like roundtable discussion when you have, you know, when you're online or you're doing it virtually. So I've been having to spend a lot more time uh, preparing and preparing for scripture Bible studies, especially like, you know, themes that I normally wouldn't do. We've been doing a theme on the minor prophets of the Old Testament and um, we've been following the lectionary. And so, it, and so it's causing me and forcing me to like take a deeper dive into some of these scriptures, which is kind of fun and kind of crazy and kind yeah. of different. And um, one of the scriptures to know for this week is that is part of our lectionary is a scripture that I didn't have to do a lot of research in that I love. But the before, you, before you go to Stephen, um, yeah. I wanted to, to put in a plug for our newly established Ascension Wellness Center. Um, that's oh, been yeah. another, uh, the, the, the quarantine has sort of um, made that group, you know, focused on direction. Um, and so they're doing a staying well at home series. A, a video comes out every Thursday at nine, um, just about some kind of wellness, emotional wellness, uh, eating well at home, uh, spiritual wellness, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's been a cool little uh, iteration of, of all this. And it really is, is allowed more lay people to be involved in the ministry of the church. We're doing that with Compline every night. Um, so this is, I, I've also taken this as an opportunity to, to engage lay people in ways they've never uh, been asked on before. So, uh, so, Jack, if somebody wanted to participate in that, how would they get connected to your wellness center? Uh, just on our ascensionepiscopal.org website, there's a, there's a tab or a, a, a box for Ascension Wellness Center videos. So, so, Jack, what have you learned in kind of facilitating this wellness well, that's experience? I know that, like, y'all were depending, y'all... When you were originally conceiving this idea, you were thinking of it as something you would do um, in your building, in a way to access your building. But yeah. it's quite a bit different now. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, you know, I didn't have a lot to do with it. Our um, our deacon, Jane Ellis, has been sort of the staff person. Uh, my wife, Jamie, and another parishioner, Lori uh, Ennis, are sort of the, the trio that's put it together and, um, you know, tapped various parishioners to do different things. I, I'm, I'm set up to do one uh, later in May or early June called The Art of Piddling. Did you hear me? Jack, that is fantastic. Piddling. I can't imagine somebody who's better at that than you. As a matter of fact, that, when I think of piddling, I think of Jack Elvey. Are you being sarcastic? 
No, <laughs> I think that's great. I think you are a great fiddler. You know, Jack and I have known each other for a long time. And like, we went to seminary together. You know, we kind of lived in community together. And Jack, I feel like you peep out about all the time. Yeah, I can't. I can't stop. So this is a way for me to stop without stopping. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, but anyway, so uh, excited about that. Um, like, you know, we're both saying in, in all spheres of common life, we're thinking about doing things differently. And, um, and uh, anyway, so uh, you were, you were about to talk about, uh, you were talking about the, the minor prophets and, you know, other passages you've never had the opportunity. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been, so I've been really looking into the minor prophets at different periods in history and trying to get kind of one prophet in each one, which is so exciting. And, you know, the thing that's so wonderful about looking at something like the Minor Prophets are those are the scriptures that Jesus is reading and interpreting. That's the, how Jesus understands God and connects to God. I mean, that's the, the, that is his scripture. And, and what's wonderful then is like the people like Peter and Paul who are writing in, and the gospel writers, they're reflecting on Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, right? Because that was the scripture that they were raised in and, tra and trained in. But here you have this like crazy scene of Stephen being martyred, and it feels very much like an Old Testament scene. <laughs> you know, yeah. somebody being drug out, you know, to the edge of town, and then being killed and stoned for, uh, you know, blasphemy, I guess. And it's such an incredible scene, and yet such a defining moment for Christianity. You know, um, why don't you describe to us, Jack, the story? Oh well, you know, like like you said, Stephen is. Um proclaiming Jesus as Lord and, uh, and uh, the, some of the religious authorities don't, don't like that and um, drag him out to be stoned. And um, he doesn't, doesn't recant and um, has a vision of Jesus and uh, proclaims as Lord. Uh, they don't like that. They start throwing rocks at him. Uh, and while they're stoning him, Stephen says something, uh, eerily similar to what Jesus said from the cross is um, don't don't hold it against them forgive them and um, you know that you know the, the, he's the first martyr we, we say martyr but you know strictly speaking martyr just simply means witness um, but we typically when we use the word martyr we think of someone who died because of their witness uh, so for that witness sure that pain Stephen is the first martyr of the church. And who is standing there approving of said martyrdom? Jack Alvey. Not, not quite. Paul, the, the, the future Paul, at this point, Silas, right? Saul. Saul, I'm sorry, not Silas. Paul and Silas <laughs> are later companions with each other. Saul, Saul, who will later become Paul. Well, well, let's let's hold on a minute. Um, not to publicly rebuke you, um, but Saul was his Jewish name, and Paul was his um, a Gentile name. So, he, so he became Paul to the Gentiles, but he was still Saul to the Jewish. Yeah, it you know it wasn't quite like like Jesus calls Peter. You know, he calls Peter, whose name is Simon. He, he says, you are now Caiaphas. Yeah. From that, we get the name Peter. So Jesus, like, changes his name. 
But Paul certainly does go from a big, he doesn't have his name changed by Jesus exactly, but he does have a big conversion later on. So you see Paul go from having been there, and you get the sense that since he's standing over um, Stephen as he's being stoned, you get the sense that the symbol is, as they're laying their cloaks down at his feet, that he's the one of authority and he's the one who's approving it. That he's the one who's kind of causing Stephen to be stoned and killed. He's like certainly the one who's kind of recognized as the most important person there, the authority there. So it's definitely a crazy story. And then later on, of course, Paul will have his own conversion and have this, you know, massive uh, turn towards God and they'll change also Christendom forever. But Jack, how weird is it to have a story where it starts with the main hero being killed? Oh, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, you think of, like, this is sort of the first introduction to, to Paul, Saul, however you want to uh, say it. And, um, you know, he's clearly defined as a villain. But by the, by the end of the, the book of Acts, he's sort of the hero. He's the one that spread Christianity throughout uh, the, the world. And, um, you know, sort of, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, when we were growing up, uh, Disney films... Uh, you know, always had a hero and a villain, right? And, you know, there's, in Bambi, there's the hunters, you know, kill Bambi's mom and set fire to the forest. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, Lion King, Scar uh, is the villain. And at the end, he's killed by the hyenas. And so you always have a villain at the, at the end that's, uh, you know, somehow killed or, or dismissed from the picture. Um, but, in more recent Disney movies, you know, the person who appears to be the villain in the beginning is somehow transformed over the process of the story. You know, immediately that comes to mind is, uh, uh, is Moana. And I can't remember the name of the, the villain. Um, help me out, Josiah. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. You're talking then, about, uh, some the of the character in Moana. Yeah, and some of the Toy Story characters, even like you know, like Lotso in Toy Story, Story Three, and uh, Gabby in Toy Story Four. You know, they're presented as villains in the beginning, but by the end, they're transformed through some kind of act of kindness, some some kind of mercy uh, given by the hero. Um, so I, th- I think that's a beautiful transition that Disney's doing. I don't know, I don't know. If, I've never seen an article written about why this is happening or who thought of this or, or what it's just an observation on my part. Uh, but that, you know, that that's more consistent with the Christian story that I know is that no one is too far gone for God, that God is, is in the business of transforming every heart, even the worst of villains like Saul. Um, and in turn, people like Saul become the greatest witnesses to the power of God Uh and God's mercy yeah. in the world. And something like, you know, that Saul's conversion is completely outside of him. That, you know, left to his own devices, he would have, you know, got, kept going on his own path and kept persecuting Christians. And to say, you know, I think we get caught up sometimes in this story where we make up this story because it's a very American story. That, you know, we're people who do things. We're people who achieve things. Mm-hmm. And, we, and Christianity is something we can achieve. Like, if you're just good enough, if you just work hard enough, if you just do these things, you can have a good relationship with God too. And that's really a false narrative. And to say, no, like Christianity is not about doing 
anything great or amazing or being anybody super special. It's about what God does in your life and allowing God in, letting God kind of work in your life. You know, nothing Paul did to have a conversion. It's that God kind of connected with him in such a powerful and overwhelming way. And then Paul responded to God. And then Paul allows himself to kind of be transformed by the experience. Yeah, I think the, the key word there is transformation. So often Christianity has been reduced to a moral code, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z, and you go to heaven uh, when you die, which is just, you know, just such a simplistic and bad way of, of thinking about, you know, why God cares that we follow Jesus. And, it, and you know, in the, in the gospel lesson for this Sunday, uh, you know, the, the, the beginning of the farewell discourse in John, you know, Jesus is preparing them for when he's no longer a part of this world physically. Uh, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Follow me. Um, where I'm going, uh, you cannot come now, but I will come back and find you. Um, uh, and you know the way to where I'm going or something like that. And uh, of course, Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, which is much different than saying follow X, Y, and Z, follow these rules for a better life. When we follow Jesus, we enter into like a transformation process, a lifelong uh, transformation uh, process. You know, we don't know exactly where we're going, where we are going, but we do trust in the person who's taking us there. You know, uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we trust in the one who holds the future which is God. <laughs> yeah, Jack, I like that. I like that turn of phrase. That's funny. Um, that's I, right. I think that you're absolutely right. And, uh, and there's things that we do as Christians. I mean, I think we, through as part of our transformation as human beings, that it does compel us to live differently and live separately from maybe the rest of society or the way the rest of the world is going. I do think being a Christian compels us to a different kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But, but we don't have to do anything to get God's grace or to, to have mm-hmm. God in our life. I think if you don't feel enough God in your life and you don't feel enough connection to God, and if you don't feel like God is speaking abundantly in your life, I think what you can do is be dissatisfied and, you know, begin what I say is a new way of prayer. And maybe that way of prayer is by being dissatisfied, maybe being saying, I long for more. I'm hungry for more, and that's the beginning of a new adventure in prayer. Yeah, for and, sure. And, and what you're also doing there is admitting that you're helpless. Um, you're admitting that you're weak. Um, and, and those are the moments where God shows up in our life. Um, that, those are the moments when we are humbled. Uh, and that's where God, that's where we, not only where God finds us, but that's where we are most able to see God in our weakness, in our humility. Uh, when we no longer rely on ourselves and our own good works, is that's when God's uh, grace comes more most clearly in, into the picture for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this is the reason why a lot of people have their biggest conversion moments, biggest conversion experiences in these most traumatic times. Like maybe it, they have biggest experiences of God while going through AA or, or rehab for something. Or maybe people go, have the biggest experiences of God when, as they're um, in the hospital, like, you know, with a loved one who's going through cancer or fighting their way through cancer or healing from cancer or at the deathbed of somebody you love desperately, 
you know, it's these like big harrowing moments that are, they call us, I don't know, so far out of ourselves. Yeah, you know, we have no we have no power in ourselves to save ourselves, as one of the colleagues says um, in, in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, you know, I'm reminded of you know the announcement of Jesus in the Gospels: "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven comes near." Well, you know, when we think of repent, it's not just saying "I'm sorry." A repent means turning around, and we can only turn around when we know that we are we have fallen short, when we have failed, when we are weak. Uh, when we are helpless. Um, yeah. Because the vision of the kingdom of heaven says, wow, something is not right in my world and the world around me. And I need help. And the first step is turning around and saying, I need help. Lord, have mercy. And, you know, I think, I think about Stephen as he's being stoned. And, you know, this is like kind of great moment of mercy on his part, you know, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He's kind of quoting Jesus when Jesus says that. But something like that. It's like, don't hold this against these people yeah. you know, so they don't realize. But also kind of the faith he had at that moment, the faith that even in the midst of such darkness, even in the midst of such, you know, his, facing his own death, facing like his very obvious death right in front of him. And as he's being stoned and saying, look, I recognize that I'm powerless in this situation, but I still believe in God, and God is, and I still trust my my life and my soul and everything to, to this God. And um, I don't know. I see some parallels with the world we're living in today. You know, where people are scared, and for a good reason. You know, we have unprecedented health crisis in America with a virus that there's no cure for, and and people are, you know something like close like to 70,000 people in America have died in the last seven weeks, which is, you know, just insane. Uh, and and you, you're quarantined in your house and you feel unsafe, maybe going out, or maybe you're going stir crazy and you're desperate to go out. And we don't know. We don't know when we can open up churches. We don't know when we can all go back to work. We don't know when we can all go back to football stadiums and be safe and really feel safe doing that. Um, so in this time, it feels so uncertain. And when we feel so powerless, and when we feel so kind of out of control, there's also this aspect that God, I mean, this, these are the moments of our faith. This is why we practice Christian faith every single day in the good times. So these moments when it is out of control and it is nuts, we can still like Steve, still say like, yeah, we believe and we trust that God is with us. Yeah. Even yeah, at this moment. Yeah. There, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, preventative care on one level. Um, which is sort of like the apostles teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. But then there's also sort of a triage mode <laughs> where, you know, that, that we're in right now. I feel like in a lot of ways we are in triage. We're, you know, trying to stop the bleeding, stop the, stop the pain, uh, you know, get, get things stable, um, you know, uh, and, and whatever that new normal uh, looks like. And I think we're sort of coming out of that triage mode on some level, uh, not for everyone, for sure. Um, but it, it, you're right, it's a definitely a scary time. There's so much that's unknown. And, and you hear those words from Jesus on the Sunday, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe in me also. And like, you know, uh, key. And you know, you know, when we read, when we read that scripture, most often, you know, obviously, we read it this Sunday, like, at this time of year, uh, 
it was part of our lectionary. But we read the scripture most often at funerals. Yep. You know, do not let your hearts be troubled. But we're saying it at the time when most people are experiencing kind of the most troubling time of their life. You know, where you're at the funeral of, of your husband or your wife or your grandmother or your friend. And you're at a time in life when you feel most troubled. See, but that's the moment when maybe we can experience God most abundantly, when God is most with us or, or around us or, you know. Yeah, what do so, we, I mean, there's no coincidence that that's the time when we read that particular scripture. Yeah, and for me it comes down to is like, what are we putting our trust in? Uh, are we putting our trust in the, in the kingdoms of this world or are we putting our trust in God's kingdom? Um, and I think times like these make us put more trust in God's kingdom and less trust in the kingdoms of this world because we see how the kingdoms of this world have failed us. And I'm not saying that, the, that all the kingdoms are bad, but we live in a world that's, that's finite, that's mortal, uh, that, that's prone to failure. Um, and it, these times uh, make us realize that there's something outside of ourselves that we need for salvation. And um, maybe even maybe even if you say these times aren't bad, but God is so much better, but God is so much greater. Yeah, yeah. maybe like these times aren't, you know, the end times or even the worst times, but still, God is so much better than this time that we're living in today. Absolutely. And um, you know, this uh, this comes over a. Uh, uh, Oh, sorry, I got a text message from, from Jamie. Everything's okay, in case you're <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but anyway, I think, we're, I think we're starting to land the airplane here on our conversation. Um, you know, uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm able to see Josiah. He, he does not have any hair, um, so he hasn't had to worry about haircuts. I guess you're just shaving. My hair, I have long, luxurious locks. Um, You're starting to look like Mutasa from The Lion King. <laughs> Jamie is uh, currently looking at YouTube videos on how to cut hair. So say a prayer. Um, Jack, any day you ever want me to come over and shave your head or just give you Zoom tips, let me know. We can figure out. I think you look great bald, um, as, as do most people. I think that would be the uh, – I, I think that might be the last thing in the world that I would want is a bald head. I know you're jealous of my Kennedy hair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. JFK hair. Hey, well, Jack, thanks for talking. And I hope that people who are tuning in uh, are using this time and this opportunity to explore their faith deeper. I hope that folks who are tuning in um, to hear us today are, t are thinking of this as a prayerful time and thinking of this as a time to explore what it's like to be faith you know, in time of Corona, a person of faith in time of Corona or a person of faith, you know, when, when there is a national crisis going on, because this won't be the last one. And so maybe there are things that we can do to connect to our faith deeper or richer or explore more, or simply maybe even just like to, to make us somewhat hardier as Christians, that it's a time for us to kind of dig down a little deeper and um, explore what really is kind of the meaning and mission of all the work we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's what it's been doing to me for sure. Uh, it's helping us remember the why, why, why does the church exist? Um, and everyone's going to have a, a little bit different answer and how they say that. Um, and and I, that's a question I hope you take with you. It's like, why does the church exist? 
why do people like Stephen, why are people like Stephen so convinced that this is the way that they're willing to get stoned for it? Why would people like Stephen who, who uh, in the face of their persecutors say, I forgive you? Like what would compel someone to say something like that? And that's, you know, the, and that all goes back to the why of our faith. Why does the church exist? Uh, why are we a part of this Jesus movement? And, you know, it's some version of, I believe that God is bigger than all this. I believe that love is stronger than all this. Some version of that, of that answer. I believe that, that mercy and forgiveness uh, is, the, is the only way forward. So some kind of version of those answers. Um, and for me, it's really clarified, you know, why, why God cares that the church exists. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we appreciate you all being part of the conversation this week. Uh, we hope everybody is safe and healthy and strong. And we can't wait to see you back at our congregations at St. Thomas Episcopal Church and Ascension in Vestavia Hills. And uh, you can always tune in online to both churches for our virtual services. You can tune in for to our website to St. Thomas, Birmingham, and Ascension in Birmingham for uh, lots and lots of incredible information and a little bit of boring information too. But we hope, uh, but we're grateful that everybody tuned in today and may the blessing of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit be upon you now and remain with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.